0: Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.
1: We're doing a series on the other side of the one we did about the fall that's really a logical series for us to do because what we see happening uh, on the other side of the fall is that as Adam's family expands uh, and grows and multiplies, regrettably we see sin also multiply in the world. Uh, To the degree that God uh, makes a sovereign choice, to kind of hit rewind on the human race and start all over again with uh, Noah and his family. Today we're going to talk about the uh, the Ark, God's salvation. The topics we're looking at in this series we started last week with the cause of the flood, which was man's sin, that I just talked about a moment ago. Uh, today we're going to get a picture of uh, of God's salvation. Uh, through the ark. And then next week, we'll we'll close out talking about uh, the covenant. God gives a sign, a covenant. And I'll talk a little bit about covenant today uh, also in the message. Uh, and and then when we jump into December, we're going to do a Christmas series, and I hope you'll be praying about uh, this Christmas series, be inviting people to come and be with us. We're going to title it, All I Want for Christmas. Uh, it's going to be the title of it, but it's going to be not your average run-of-the-mill stuff that we ought to be focused on and wanting for Christmas uh, in our lives. Uh, so please be praying about that series as we get ready to uh, to go into uh, in, into that series. Uh, as we uh, think about the uh, the ark today, being God's salvation, uh, a lot of theologians see in the ark a picture uh, or a type of, of Jesus. Uh, being our ark or our salvation. And uh, we'll kind of get to that at the end of the message. There are a lot of verses you can see it goes from uh, you know, chapter 6 verse 14 over to uh, really even beyond chapter 7 verse 24 to grab some of the thoughts uh, today. But um, we, that means we just hit the highlights of it. I'm not reading all those verses uh, to you today. But the launching verse for us is this. God warned noah up front about the coming flood and he said make yourself an ark of of gopher wood an ark of gopher wood in other words this floods on the way you need to prepare something uh, that will get you and your family through the flood so god in his in his mercy and his grace gives them that type of that type of message uh, so today, let's kind of hit some highlights on all those verses, because that's about all we can do covering that much. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the size of the ark. Some of this will be a, a little bit different type of message. matter of fact, in the third point, I'm going to play you about a 10-minute video. Uh, so that's why I need to hurry through a lot of this, and I'm not going to be reading all the verses. But some of you may wonder, well, what does all those cubits and everything like that mean? And, and you're wondering kind of what would be a, a good picture, a good image uh, of the size of the ark. Well, in Genesis chapter 6... Uh, Begin in verse fourteen. After he told him to make it uh, of gopher wood, he says, "Make room in the, rooms in the ark, cover it uh, inside and out with pitch, make it waterproof." Uh, this is how you're to make it. The length of the ark will be three hundred cubits. The breadth is fifty. The, the height is thirty. And, and he says, "You know, make it uh, a roof for it, things like that." So how how big would that be? Uh, so to kind of give you. Uh, some terms in in modern day uh, English for you and I to think about how large the ark really was. If you were to go to the top of a five story building and look down, that's about the height uh, of the ark itself—about five stories tall. Now, you know that doesn't sound very big in the day of skyscrapers and things like that. But put that in context of when it was—five uh, stories, pretty tall structure in that. Uh, in that day and time. Uh, If you were to try and figure out the length of it, if you were to go look at a football field, the length of a football field, and then add another half football field to it, uh, you would get the idea of about how long the arc was. If you were to go to a six lane highway and get on the shoulder and look all the way across to the other side, the other shoulder of the road, all the way across six lanes, uh, that would give you an idea of about how wide uh, the ark was. So needless to say, it was a, a pretty pretty big structure for that day and time. If you use the smallest measurement for a cubit, which would be 18 inches rather than what most people think is 22 inches, uh, the ark was built with three decks, Uh, It's about 450 foot long, just to put it in terms of of something other than a visual for you. 75 feet wide, 45 feet in height. It would displace some 43,000 tons would be how much uh, volume it could displace. And basically it's about the same size and portion of a modern day ocean liner. So factor that in, uh, you don't have a shipbuilding company. You have Noah and his family Building this thing. You start to understand maybe now why it took 120 years and why God gave them that much notice. Well, another question about the size of it would be this why in the world did God tell them to make it so big? Because you've got Noah and his family. Well, I'm not going to read all all the verses here, but just to give you an idea, you can read through uh, these verses later. Uh, God told him to make it large enough for him and his family, and to of all the animals except for some of the clean animals and and he said those he wanted him to bring in seven pairs of uh, of those so two pairs of everything else seven pairs of the clean animals Uh, a lot of theologians believe probably some of that might have been used for food Uh, some of it would have the clean animals would have been used for uh, sacrificial offerings and things like that especially on the other side of of getting off the ark uh, in, in the flood he also told him to to prepare enough food to take on board to feed them so this is a big storage area i was standing out in the connection area a few minutes ago and uh one one of the members of the church came up and said that she had been doing some study about noah since last week and she meant to send me an email and she forgot to but she said she found out something uh really interesting about noah and i said what was that and she said he was the first prepper and i said probably so you know what a prepper is okay you know someone that's imagining you know Uh, all these cataclysms taking place and which may take place and preparing for, you know, for the worst. So saying that he was the first one. So that's the reason why it had to be so large. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris calculated the ark was large enough to hold the contents of over 500 livestock railroad cars, providing enough space for around 125,000 animals, small and large. And that's including bugs and everything else, you know. I've got a separate question. I kind of wonder, what in the world did you do with all the, you know, what? (laughs) You know, maybe there's a special storage area for that. Because they spent over a year on this ark once the flood actually started. Also, I want you to think about a warning while we think about the size of it. Because on the plains of that particular region, as this ship is being built, over 120 years, there's this warning. People could look out and see this structure start to come up in height. It could have been seen probably for miles across that area. And in factor into that, that Noah, the Bible told us, we looked at last week in the New Testament, tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So Noah was also warning other people during this whole time, hey, there's a flood that's coming on the way. So they were hearing a warning from Noah. They were seeing this ship start to come up on the horizon. And on top of it, the animals would start to show up probably gradually because of the distance some of them would have had to come in by the way God didn't say no you go out and collect the animals God by his power caused the animals to come in and collect to him all he did was be sure they were on the ark so factor yourself in being someone that's probably living a very wicked lifestyle in that day that's why God was destroying the earth And you're seeing this large structure being built over 120 years. You're hearing a message that a day of judgment is coming, a flood is coming. And all of a sudden, all these animals just start kind of showing up and hanging around. I'm just saying those should have been some huge signs, some warnings to the people around that region that something different was about to happen. And maybe Noah knew what he was talking about. Because of everything that was taking place. The second thing I want you to see is not just the, the size of, of the ark, but I, I want you to think about the covenant of God for a moment. Because in with this story of the ark, God makes a covenant with Noah. In Genesis six seventeen eighteen. 18, he said, For behold, I will bring a, bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in, in which it is a breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and and your sons' wives with you. This is the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. Last week we saw the first usage of the word righteousness. This time it's the first time covenant. Covenant literally means kind of a sense of of cutting something. What uh, it speaks of, God made some covenants uh, later on, uh, in Genesis to where there would be an animal killed and God would kindly walk between the animal that was killed, the bull that was killed and the other person would walk through it. And it was like a very serious agreement that was being made. It was like an agreement between two parties that had benefits with that agreement. That's what a covenant is. But when it's a covenant that God makes God's covenants are based upon his character, thank God. Not based upon our performance, not based upon our ability to necessarily keep our end of the deal. God makes a covenant. He will not break his promises. God makes a promise to know in his family that you build this ark. I'm getting ready to destroy all the rest of the human life and animal life. So that's why I want you to build this ark. I'll send the animals to you, you put them on. And I am promising you, if you get on this ark, I will keep you safe through this storm of judgment to the other side. So God made a promise. He makes an unconditional promise to Noah that the only thing that was required of Noah was this, to believe God enough to build the ark, to believe God enough to act upon God's word. That's what faith is, to act upon what God had said to him. And that's why he builds the ark and why he makes it through the flood. The, the covenant of God, the promise of God would have given Noah and his family peace and comfort and confidence during this time as they are working on the ark, being ridiculed probably by people around them. And when the flood came, the judgment came, they would have had peace and confidence going through that judgment because of the promise of God. That's what a covenant did for them. God is faithful to keep his promise, his covenant with his covenant people that at that particular time were eight believers that make it through the flood. Now all through the Bible, God makes covenants. But the ultimate covenant that God makes that all the other covenants point to is the covenant that he makes to us through Jesus Christ, his son. And here's just a sample of some verses that point to that covenant. For God so loved the world That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So if you want to miss a coming judgment, the way to miss that coming judgment, the way to avoid perishing is by faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Not your works, not your performance, not what anyone else might try and tell you you need to do. God says this. I'm putting my son on a cross to die for your sins. That's how much I love you, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Another sample of that covenant would be in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A promise from God. That if we trust his son, he saves us and he saves us to be in his family, but he also saves us from any. Future judgment to come. It's a pretty good reason to celebrate Thanksgiving, isn't it? Something for us to think about during this Thanksgiving. Third thing I want you to see this morning is the reality of the flood. Because a lot of people question, did it really, really happen? In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 6, the Bible tells us Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Watch the screen.
0: and of Australia. And in my homeland of Australia, there's an indigenous people called the Australian Aborigines. Now, there were people that lived with the Australian Aborigines for years before they ever met missionaries who wrote down their legends. And many of those legends are in books and in the museums in Australia today. But some of those legends actually sound like the Bible, particularly the account of the flood in the Bible. There are legends they have about three sons on a boat to survive the flood. And then the boat landed on a mountain and God put a rainbow in the sky to tell them what the weather would be like. They have stories about this man who was told to build a raft and take the coffer to and kangaroo because there was a global flood coming. And so it goes on. In fact, they have other stories too that sound like accounts in Genesis, such as woman made while man was asleep or forbidden tree. And so on. You know, it's not just the Australian Aborigines, the American Indians, the Fijians, the Hawaiians, the Eskimos, and so on. Back to the Babylonians, all have stories that sound like Genesis 1 to 11 in the Bible, and they have these flood legends. The interesting thing is, they have elements that are all similar to the Bible. There's lots of differences, but there are lots of similar elements too, in regard to animals being taken on a boat, there being a global flood, there being three sons or one man that built the boat, and so on. Now, why is this so? Well, I believe it is evidence that there was a real flood and that the record of the actual flood is right there in the Bible. In fact, in the Bible in Genesis, we read about a man called Noah who was told to build a big ark, a big boat, and take on each kind of land animal to survive a global flood. Now, if there really was a global flood, what would you expect to find? Well, think about it. If there was a global flood, we'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And what do we find? Actually, we find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. Now, of course, those who believe in evolution and don't believe the Bible is true say that the fossil record was laid down over millions of years, and they say that you know the older layers are on the bottom and the youngest layers are on the top. Actually, I also believe the oldest layers are on the bottom, by and large, and the youngest layers are on the top. younger by maybe a few months, not millions of years, as we're told by the evolutionists today. In fact, when you dig up the fossils, they don't have labels on them. When you go and look at those layers with the fossils in them, they don't have little labels saying, hi, I was laid down millions of years ago. You see, the layers and the fossils exist in the present. And what we need to do is try to understand what happened in the past to put the present here. But the more you look at the fossil record, and the more you look at those sedimentary layers, The more it speaks of catastrophism in fact massive catastrophism in fact to make a fossil is a catastrophic event think about it if an animal dies it basically rots if a deer dies out in the woods other animals come and eat it it rots it doesn't turn into a fossil how do you make something into a fossil you have to cover it very quickly but there are billions of fossils all over the earth and layers of rock sometimes miles deep it required a massive amount of mud a massive amount of water actually we believe it's the record of the flood, as recorded in the Bible, that there really was such a flood. In fact, you can see other evidence that's totally consistent with this, confirming the Bible's account of the flood. When you go to the Grand Canyon, I stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon with an evolutionist, and there we are looking a mile deep down to the canyon, 10 to 12 miles across this massive canyon, looking at all those layers that make up the sides of the canyon. And the evolutionist said to me, a long time and a little bit of water did this. And I stood there and said, actually, it was a lot of water and a little bit of time that did this. And you know, actually, the evidence at the Grand Canyon confirms it was made under catastrophic conditions. Behind the Grand Canyon, there's evidence there were great big lakes. In fact, that whole area was raised up. It's called the Kayaban Plateau. Now, the Bible indicates how God ended the flood. He raised up the land and sank the ocean basins, and the water poured off into the ocean basins. Actually, Psalm 104 uh, seems to indicate that. Now, if there really was a global flood, and God ended the flood by raising up the mountains and then sinking the ocean basins, then you expect to see evidence consistent with that, and you do. When you go to the Grand Canyon, for instance, you can actually see where it was raised up, and you see all those layers that were bent upwards. Now, those who believe in millions of years tell us that happened with millions of years of heat and pressure. Actually, Millions of years of heat and pressure would have turned sedimentary rock into metamorphic rock, and there's no indication of that. If it was bent while it was hard rock, uh, it would be cracked, and the crystals would be elongated. But it's not cracked at all. It was bent while it was still soft. You can actually stand there and look at that nice, smooth bend. It's absolutely phenomenal. Also, behind the Grand Canyon, you see evidence there were once great lakes. They're not there today. You just see the dry lake beds. But what happened was this, as the canyon was raised up, water left over from the flood, rains after the flood, filled up behind the canyon, it acted as a dam, and then, because the sediment was still soft, the dam broke, the water gouged out the canyon. It happened catastrophically. Now, if that really happened, then where'd all the sediment go? You'd expect to find lots of what are called surge deposits, where the sediment was then deposited downstream. Actually, all you have to do is walk downstream from the Grand Canyon, and you see those surge deposits, massive deposits of the sediment that was washed out of the canyon. The evidence is all there. It really is consistent with the biblical account of Noah's flood. There really was a global flood. Now, some people say there's not enough water to cover the earth for a global flood. Actually, if you leveled out all the mountains and the ocean basins, just made a smooth earth, there's enough water to cover to a depth of two miles. So there's plenty of water. That's not a problem at all. I remember being in a university in Spain And a young man jumped up in the audience and he said, wait a minute, doesn't it take millions of years to form rock? Everyone knows it takes millions of years to form rock. Can you give an example of rock forming quickly? I said, sure, you ever heard of concrete? Do you know what concrete is? Concrete is artificial rock. You have the right conditions, you can form rock quickly. Petrification can happen quickly. Fossilization can take minutes, hours, days. It just depends on the right conditions. It doesn't take millions of years. And there's so much evidence like that out there. Of course, people then say, well, wait a minute, if you're saying there was a global flood, then you really believe in Noah's ark. That's true. But, but all the animals couldn't fit on Noah's ark. Actually, how many animals would Noah need to fit on that ark? Because the Bible says he took the representative kinds of land animals. We classify animals and plants with our classification system as phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. What we found in most instances, what's called a kind in the Bible, is at the family level of classification, sometimes even at the order level. In other words, take dogs. There's one family of dogs, lots of different species of dogs, dingoes, wolves, coyotes, and so on, but there's only one dog family. And those different species arose from that dog family. That's not evolution, by the way. That's just a redistribution of the genetic information that's already there. Well, when we work it out, there was probably only 1,700 kinds at the most that were taken on Noah's Ark. That's about four to five thousand animals because he took two of each kind. Seven of what are called the clean. There was plenty of room on Noah's Ark. In fact, Noah's Ark was an enormous boat, 500 feet long, 80 feet wide, 50 feet high, three floors. He actually didn't need a boat that big to fit the animals on. Why was the boat that big? I think there was plenty of extra room for people if they wanted to go on that ark to be saved. The Bible tells us that once Noah finished the ark, it was fully loaded, and then it stood there with the door open seven days before God shut the door. And the Bible tells us that the man Noah, who was commanded to build the ark, was a preacher of righteousness. I think Noah was preaching the whole time he was building that ark, warning people, God said there's going to be a flood, and God's word's true, and it's going to happen by the way, the evidence today all over the earth in the fossil record, is not evidence of millions of years, it's evidence of the flood. It's the graveyard of the flood. It really did happen. I think for the last seven days, Noah would have been standing there at the door of the ark saying, people, come in to be saved. Come through the doorway to be saved. But only eight people went on that ark, Noah and his family. And then God shut the door and then the flood came and it took them away. You know, the Bible tells us there's going to be another judgment on this earth, not by water next time, but by fire. Is there an ark of salvation for us? Well, there sure is. God's Son stepped into history to become a man, the God-man, to die on a cross and be raised from the dead. He said this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. Just as Noah and his family had to go through a doorway to be saved, we need to go through a doorway, we say. And that doorway is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became a perfect man to die for our sin. We sinned in Adam, the first man, Adam, who rebelled against God. That's why we're cut off from God, and we would be for eternity. But God wants us to spend eternity with him. He's a holy God. We can't live with a holy God as as a, a sinner. So God provided a way to pay the penalty for our sin. Noah's Ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that door is still open. But one day that door is going to shut too. And I pray that every one of you has gone through that door to be saved. That's the most important thing for you to do. The most important thing in the entire universe for you to do is to go through that doorway to be saved. You know, there's a church location system on this website and pastors who are ready to talk with you about that door to salvation. And I trust that you will seek one of them out. And also on truelife.org. You can go and watch other videos that give you lots of other answers to help you understand. The Bible's not just a book of stories. It really is the Word of God. It's a true book of history that tells us all about who we are, where we came from, what our problem is, sin, what the solution is in Jesus Christ. We want you to get to that door of the ark and then to go through that doorway so that you will be saved for eternity. That's the most important thing in the entire universe for you to do.
1: Now, the treelife.org is something I mentioned to you last week that we have recently uh, signed up with, with, uh, with our church uh, to participate. That's the kind of content we can point people to when we give out the invite cards. Uh, whether they come here to start with or go to that website, they can get some really good information. Uh, so we'll be uh, making that available to you uh, shortly. We still have to design our, our cards and things like that uh, to hand out. Um, Man, people that have that accent, I'm not sure if he's uh, Australian or South African. I think he's probably Australian. They sound really, really smart, don't they? You know? Have you noticed on all the info commercials, they get someone with that kind of accent to say you something uh, anymore? So, uh, so he did. He sounded really, really smart. But sometimes that accent is hard to understand. So I'm going to give you the redneck translation to everything you said, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 maybe, and, and maybe that will be, uh, be, you know, be beneficial Uh, So, you know, did did the flood really happen? I think based upon the content of the video that we would say, yes, it did. And and that it was a worldwide flood. Uh, A lot of people draw back from that. that Many people are just willing to consider the story of the flood as uh, like a, a story that has religious truth attached to it, that it didn't really happen uh, there, there are even uh, Christian scientists or Christian uh, pastors, some that are even conservative, that believe a f- flood really did happen, but they'll argue for a limited flood. In other words, thinking that it was just over a particular region rather than being worldwide uh, extent. There's a, a phrase that I bet you've not used recently uh, called scientific uni- uniformitarianism. Uh, did you use that last week in any anything as you were having a discussion? Uh, so... Uh, what that means is this, it's a theory that where people believe that uh, everything that happens throughout history has never changed. In other words, whether it's biological or, or geographical, they, they believe that everything that has happened or can happen has always been the same in the past. problem with that is, is this, that leaves out the power of God and leaves out what God by his own will may choose to happen. That's saying that everything that exists has always been the same and will always be the same. Uh, There are Christian scientists that, without hesitation, they they will accept creationism and how God created everything, but some of those same ones will not accept a worldwide flood, just a local flood. Now, now here's what bothers me about that. If God spoke everything into existence out of nothingness, then why does someone see it would be a hard thing for him to manage pulling off a worldwide flood? You understand what I'm saying? If God said, Let there be light and there's light, if God flung the stars into place and the planets in space, I think he can handle pulling off a worldwide flood. So that's what I'm saying. When you take that approach that some people want to, they, 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 they're leaving out the, the power of God and what he can, can do. The, this same thought of, of uniformitarianism is, is found in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 4. We'll read that whole section later on, right near the end of the message. But there are scoffers who say this. Where's the promise of his coming? Talking about the returning of Jesus. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, notice what it says here, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're saying nothing has ever changed. That's what people say when they look at the geographical world. They're trying to say it's millions and millions of years old. As though nothing could have impacted that, nothing could have made it happen at a faster rate. So what I want to do is give you some evidences, I think, that are Bible-based, for a worldwide flood actually having occurred. So let's walk through some of these evidences. The, the first one is the language that's used in this story of the flood implies a universal judgment because it was talking about every living thing being destroyed. On the other side of the flood, it says every living thing was destroyed except for those that were on the ark. So the language itself that's used in the Bible implies it's not a local judgment, but it's a worldwide judgment because it's talking about a universal judgment. Next thing I want you to notice is this. The Bible says the waters prevail so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Now, if that's true, and I think it is because that's what the Bible says, that's just my approach. I'm sorry if you don't like it, you know, but I, I, the Bible tells us all the high mountains were covered with the water. You factor that in, that is a worldwide flood. That's not a local flood. If you had waters going up over the, the mountaintops, uh, covering them at least by 15 cubits deep, that's around 23 feet deep. So, in other words, The highest mountains that you could find, the floodwaters were 23 feet over the highest mountains. The ark was said to come to rest on the mountains of of Ararat. That mountain range is um, some 10,000 feet in height. Once again, bring the water up above 10,000 foot mountains. What do you have? You don't have a local flood. You have a worldwide flood taking place. Next. Some claim there's not enough water, as he said in the video, in the atmosphere or on the earth to allow for a worldwide flood to happen. But as I said a moment ago, that leaves God's power out of the equation. The one that said, Let there be light created everything, if he wants a worldwide flood to happen, he can pull it off. He can be sure that it happens. He can manage it perfectly fine, I believe, because he is God. There's no necessary reason for us to base interpretation of Scripture on biological theory or geological theory. That's like we're putting God in a box that God has to perform the way we want him to perform instead of understanding that he is, that he's God. Next one, you got to factor in this thing called cataclysm. You know what that is? Catastrophe. All of a sudden, these really dramatic things happen. happened. Uh, Christian scientists and non-Christian scientists admit as they look at the features of our globe that a lot of it happened because of uh, catastrophic events that have happened over the history of the world. Uh, things that have caused it. Well, a a lot of the things that we see can be better explained by a worldwide flood than other evidences that they might want to give. The continental drift that people talk about. Well, if you have the depths broken up and everything's kind of changing about those those geological plates across the planet and, and water's coming up from the deep and water's coming down from above, that can explain things such as the continental drifts taking place. Mountains that have been pushed upward, valleys that went down, as you saw in the video, can be explained better by what the flood in the Bible describes than other types of excuses that people might use. Factor in the dinosaurs that he was talking about a moment ago and other fossils that exist. As you saw in the picture, he had a a deer there in the picture, You, you don't find modern day fossils. If something dies, it, it it's eaten by other animals, it, it decays, you might find some bones laying around and things like that, but you don't find fossils, and here's why. It would take a very special... Uh, circumstances for fossils to be created such as a worldwide flood where you have all this sediment taking place and you have those animals dying all of a sudden and the pressure of the sediment in the water placed upon them would cause the exact circumstances you need for fossils to exist it doesn't happen still yet you don't find modern day fossils when things have, have died and they would decay too quickly for to allow for, well, we just need to wait, you know, hundreds and thousands of years again, and we'll find fossils of us. No, you won't, because you don't have those circumstances to take place. You, you've got to factor in how some of the fossils are, are, are found. They're, they're actually uh, mammoths that are found in Siberia. Siberia. Remember where Siberia is, how cold Siberia is? They were found frozen there in sediment with Kind of like flash, uh, flash frozen, with tropical vegetation in their stomachs. Where do you get tropical vegetation in Siberia? You know. Uh, so that that goes along to to explain that uh, you, you've got land animals that are found fossilized underneath sea level, and the fossils that have been found below sea level. You have sea creatures whose fossils have been found up on mountaintops how did that happen i I think because of a flood because of a worldwide flood taking place would be the the explanation for how those things would would happen next thing i want you to notice is this the flood if the flood was not universal why did god do this why did god give a universal sign that can be seen all over the world a rainbow if if it were not a universal judgment to begin with and on top of that factor this in if it was a local flood only and not a universal flood that's being talked about. There have been many local floods over the years. You still see people in a local flood? I'll see them get on the news sometime. I mean, from this area. You ever watch the news and someone's on the news and they tell them where they're from and you thought, I wish they hadn't told where they're from because that person sounds like an idiot. Does you ever, you ever, you, that ever happened to you while, you while you're watching the news? And there'll be people that'll say, well, but, but God promised he wouldn't ever. Hey, he didn't. It was a local flood that hit you. So if God was making a promise, not about a universal flood, but a local flood, then God's broken his promise, right? But he's not broken his promise because he made a promise about a universal judgment, a universal flood. There's one of fire coming that we'll talk about uh, in a few moments, but God kept his promise. Furthermore, think about this. If the flood was only a local event, why did God tell Noah to build the ark and gather all the animals? Because if it's only a local event, that means there would be animals safe outside the local area. And I'm just guessing in 120 years, Noah and his family could have walked to get out of the territory. You bet? Instead of having to build an ark. God could have said, hey, Noah, I'm going to do this locally. You need to move your family over here. But he didn't do that. I think all these things just go to logically indicate that there was really a worldwide flood. Here's the biggest reason for me, because Jesus used the flood to illustrate future events that would involve the whole world at his return. We've already read it during this series, but look at what Jesus says here in, in Matthew. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. In other words, if someone starts naming you and Jesus is coming back, you know up front they're lying because the Bible says nobody knows. Every now and then, every so many years, someone will write a book trying to say Jesus is coming back on this day. I just laugh whenever I see him. I'm sorry, nobody knows. But the Father only. And and as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now now here's the issue, and this, to, to me, is the most important issue concerning whether or not there's a worldwide flood. Jesus used his second coming to be illustrated by the flood that took place. Now, either Jesus is God, and knows what He's talking about or he's not. And if you start to say, well, you know, there wasn't really a a flood or anything like that happened, what you're doing is this. You don't just have a problem with the Old Testament. You don't have a problem with the flood. You don't have a problem with the creation story. Other things that Jesus quotes and refers to, the first man, Adam, what you really have is this. You are developing a problem with the deity of Christ. Because either Jesus is God and he knows exactly what he's talking about and exactly what he's saying, or he's a heretic. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, but he's a good teacher in these other here." No, listen, he either knows, who he, knows what he's saying, knows he is who he is, claimed to be God in the flesh, quotes things like this from the Old Testament, that is either real and true and Jesus is authentic, or that means he's not really God. So that's why I'm saying this is the largest thing for me to believe that there was a worldwide flood because Jesus alludes to it, and I just think Jesus knows what he's talking about. Amen? And if we start to tear that down, what you are doing is is going against the very deity of Jesus Christ himself because he uses the suddenness of the flood as an example of the suddenness of his return, and both of those are going to be global events. When Jesus comes back it's a global event, the flood was a global event. Last thing I want to talk about this morning is the Ark of Salvation. The Ark of Salvation. That's really the topic of today's message. And, and really, we only have time for me to kind of do the highlights because I've already told you it's a picture or a type of God providing salvation through Jesus. And I just want you to get four, four basic things. I'm not even going to read all the verses. I want you to understand to start with that Noah and his family had faith to enter the ark. God told him to do it. He said, Noah and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives, he told them to go in, and they did. They went in. They believed God enough to get on the ark. I want to ask you if you believe God enough yourself, if you've never done so, to get aboard Jesus Christ. You have to have the faith to believe that God will protect you from future judgment if you'll trust in Jesus Christ. Opportunity was lost. You heard it in the video. I referred to it last week. God shut the door eventually. He was saying in the video, then why was the ship so large if he had more room than he needed for all the animals? In hopes that people would repent and more people would come and get on the ark. The people would hear the message that Noah's proclaiming. And there came a time it said those entered, male and female, and all flesh, and went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is coming a day that it will be too late for you. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week, I'll tell you why in a minute. Third thing I want you to get is this, judgment's real. Those people didn't believe it would be, they had all those warnings. Noah's warnings, his words, the ship being built up, the animals gathering, judgment is real. It actually happened, it took place, everything died except those that were on the ark. But God keeps his promises, thank God. Because everyone who by faith got on the ark made it safe through the judgment of the flood. On the other side of it, over in chapter 8, after everything was done, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. God said, if you get on the ark, you'll be safe. You'll get out on the other side. Over a year later, that's exactly what happened. They all got out on the other side. Well, I know I'm, I'm, I told you I can only hit parts of the story. I understand he sent birds out trying to check and, and, and you know being careful when they went out and waiting for God to tell him to go out. And The Bible says God caused a wind to come and help dry up all the, the, the water. I understand all that. That's all part of the story. But I'm just telling you that you need faith to get on the ark. There's coming a time God will shut the door. Judgment was real in that day and time. Just a judgment will be real now. Thank God God keeps his promises. If you get on the ark, you get off safe on the other side. God gave a warning to the flood. He was long-suffering for 120 years. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, God's been long-suffering in your life, and he's allowed you time to live, time to hear messages like this, time to prepare, time to respond by faith of what Christ has done for you on the cross. They had the opportunity of hearing the testimony of Noah's words, the testimony of Noah's works as this huge vessels being built. Imagine all the trees disappearing. They had all kinds of signs. Seeing the animals gather all kinds of warnings, all kinds of signs, but they, they refused to listen, and the rain came, and the foundations of the earth broke up, and it was too late, and God closed the door. And in case you're sitting there thinking, well, so what? That was then. There's another judgment on the way. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. Peter's writing to believers in Asia Minor. Now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing that first of all, the scoffers would come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? In other words, they're, they're scoffing. They say, well, you said he's coming back. I, that's not really going to happen. When's he really coming back? You, you've said it for years he's coming back. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, they said the same thing I said a moment ago, that people base their belief in some geological, biological things have to fit what happens in, in our world as always being true. That leaves God out of the equation. All things continued as it were in the beginning of creation. In other words, since the fathers had died, you've been saying, 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 Jesus is coming back. There's gonna be a last judgment, but it's not happened. Everything's just going on the same as it always has with a belief that it will always go on the same as it always has. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. And then he uses the first judgment in the flood that we're talking about, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through water by the word of God, and that by these means uh, of this, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. There's a second judgment. On the way. Not with a flood. But everything. Being destroyed by fire. And eventually a new heaven and a new earth. Coming about. The same concerns and issues lay before us. You don't know when. They didn't know when it was going to rain. And they waited until it was too late. And God shut the door. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I cannot compel you enough from my own heart. But you see, you have to feel God compelling you, God God drawing you. But I can't compel you enough if you don't know Christ as your Savior. That you need to get serious, and you need to understand you're a sinner, and you can't save yourself. And God prepared an ark for you through his son, putting his son on a cross. And if you've never trusted in him, you need to while you have opportunity, because God will close the door. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, you said that last week, and you even alluded to it back when he was talking about the fall, and he said it again this week. I'm going to say it next week, too. You want to know why? They had to put up with hearing Noah say it for 120 years. Same message. Him being honest and truthful with him, not trying to be creative. Noah just saying... There's a flood coming, there's a judgment coming. you better get on the boat. For a 120 years, that was his message. That's why I said last week, there's a judgment coming, you better get on the boat. That's why I'm saying today, there's a judgment coming. You don't know when it will be. God will shut the door eventually. you better get on His ark, the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in him. Let's pray. Father, there's someone here that's been pushing things off. We, we thank you for your long-suffering. We thank you that they're still alive and that they still have an opportunity and they still have a chance. Lord, but if there's someone here in this place this morning that does not truly know Christ as Savior, they've not really entered in the door that's Jesus into a relationship with you, they've not trusted in the safety that he's provided, For the coming judgment as he died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins they've not got on jesus your ultimate ark father give them the faith they need right now to say yes to jesus and then father as we sing those of us that already know christ as we think about it being thanksgiving remind us as we sing right now to be thankful Thankful that you have provided the ark for us, your son. Thankful that we have believed your word and we've got on board. Thankful that we know we're safe in Jesus and we'll make it through any judgment that comes and we'll be safe with you for all eternity on the other side. We thank you and we praise you for that today. Help us to do that now as we sing. And for those that may not know you, to be serious with you and think about a closing door and a sudden return and not knowing when it might happen and give them the faith they need to say yes to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day Three Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more
0: information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.